how would I actually make a difference and make this year different than the last? And so we've chosen to kind of go with this series we're calling Pray, because we want to make a difference. And we believe that the, most, the biggest difference we can make is if we focus on a face-to-face relationship with God. Developing a face-to-face, intimate, close, connected relationship with God. And so we're looking at prayer. You see, we're doing this because as humans, I think we all need to feel a completeness in our hearts. Or we long for a completeness in our hearts. Our hearts ache because there is such incompleteness in this world. There's such brokenness in our lives that we have these longings and we have this emptiness inside. And think about how some of us experienced a first Christmas without a loved one. You think about all the stuff we've been through in 2020, and there are a lot of us out there who this past Christmas, just a week ago, had to celebrate, and that person wasn't there. And that longing that just doesn't go away, people had to suffer through that. For some people, this was the first Christmas without a job, without a steady source of income. For some people, this was a first Christmas without a home to call their own. And so there's this incompleteness in the world that we live in. And when our hearts cry out from our souls and our inner being, it's common to do what we call pray. Prayer might look different to each of us, but it's kind of our common last resort as a species. In fact, um, there is a Pew Research Council. Uh, Pew, you ever heard of Pew Research? They do this research, especially they do religious studies of the current cultural temperature of spirituality and religion in America. And I was looking at one of their graphs, and it, what it said was that even the, the nuns, okay, the religious nuns, not nuns as in Catholic nuns with the hats, right, but like no preference. People who fill out they have no preference or none, 31% of people with no religious preference pray at least weekly. And even 20% of the religiously unaffiliated will not identify with Christianity or Buddhism or Islam. They won't, won't affiliate with anything. Still, 20% pray daily. Prayer is this common last resort for us. It's kind of something we do because we intuitively know that we really don't have the resources to make our lives complete on our own. It's why we work so hard. You and I, we work really hard at making life feel good. We want life to feel good, and so we work really, really hard. We become really, really good at certain things. Maybe we want to be a really, really good spouse. Or we want to become really good at our job and get lots of accolades and get promotions. Or maybe we want to be really good at being a friend. Or maybe we want to be really good at posting something funny online so people will laugh. We're always working really, really hard to be good at something so that it can kind of numb us up or or, or fill us up just a little bit. And so we want to make this series about prayer because we want praying to become a life-changing habit so that when we feel that emptiness that we need to fill up with something else, maybe we wouldn't turn to that thing 
and instead we would turn to a face-to-face relationship with God. And so I'm going to show this slide at the beginning and the end because it's the best next step you can take, and I want to kind of highlight it twice. Is we would love for you to be on a prayer journey with us. And so you can text us the words prayer journey to that number that we have, our text line number, and we've put together a 30-day prayer journey for you. So each morning over the next 30 days, if you're looking for a New Year's resolution, if you are somebody who says, I do want something to be different, I do want a word to kind of guide my life for this next year, or I want a theme to kind of guide my habits for the next month, we would love for that to be working on a face-to-face relationship with your Father in heaven, and we'd love prayer to be a part of that. So I'll put that up again at the end, but prayer journey, we've crafted a 30-day prayer journey. You would get a text each morning from us that's going to have a link, a piece of scripture, or just a prayer prompt to start to make prayer a life-changing habit. Not Not just a Hail Mary, not just something we do when it's our last resort as a species and we have nothing else to do, but something that would be a proactive habit in our lives. See, if we want to develop a relationship with God, we're just not going to be able to do it without making an effort to pray. Jesus Christ came to this earth and called himself God's son. That's just what we just got done celebrating. Jesus didn't call himself a prophet. He didn't call himself a good teacher. He called himself the son of God. And if he really was that, if if Jesus really was this co-creator of the universe, and he was really this creator of every atom and every molecule that makes us up, if he really was in charge and still is in charge of every living thing on this earth, if that's who he really was, then what he did, we ought to do. And when we look at Jesus' life, we will see that prayer was a critical part of what he did. We can see it, and I'm just going to highlight a couple spots of why prayer was so, is so important to us now and why it was important to him. In Mark chapter 1, in the very beginning of Mark chapter 1, I'm going to read this to you guys. I'm actually going to read it off the screen. It's easier for me to find than dig through this right now. So um, in, in Mark chapter 1, um, Jesus had just healed um, some people, and so many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. And later Simon and the others went out to find him. What we see here is Jesus claimed again to be the son of God. Not just a teacher, not just somebody with good morals, but the actual son of the creator of the universe come to earth to do crazy things like cast out demons and heal people, heal paralyzed people. He did things that no one else could do. And so he was rushed by people. Whenever he'd do these things, whenever he would show up in a town, he tried to keep, like, keep it on the down low. He tried for a while in his ministry to not let the word about him get out so much. Because he knew that if people rushed around him, he wouldn't be able to heal so many people. He had such a heart for healing others that he kind of wanted to keep things quiet for a while. So he could just heal people without getting rushed. One thing I think this verse kind of reveals is that Jesus gets just as stressed out as we do and overwhelmed. He wasn't just the son of God, he also had a human body. And you know how it feels to be overwhelmed, to feel stressed, to feel like you can't do anything else. And so what Jesus would do is he would go out, and that's what he he would do, is he'd get up and he'd go 
to the isolated places to pray. He'd go connect with his father. His disciples would wake up and not know where Jesus is, and they'd have to go out and find him. This type of thing's recorded again in Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Jesus kept instructing people, but despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread ever faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. What I like about that verse is that if you look it up in a couple different translations, sometimes that word wilderness or that word uh, word, uh, isolated also means lonely. And so you can read that verse... And you can read it to mean that Jesus often went to lonely places to pray. And I think about Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth. He had to have been the most lonely person to ever exist. Because what would that be like even to be in a place of perfectness, to be in a place of complete union with God and decide to leave that to come to this broken earth? There's no one who's ever been more lonely than Jesus And in that loneliness, what did he do? He prayed. He wasn't afraid to go into the wilderness. He wasn't afraid to go into isolated places. He wasn't afraid to be with ourselves. Sometimes we don't like prayer because we're just alone with ourselves, right? And then your brain starts bouncing around and you can't really think of anything. You're like, how do I do this? Sometimes our feelings bubble up. Kind of like ping pong balls in a pool. You ever try to hold down a beach ball in a pool or ping pong balls underwater? What do they do? You can't do it. They pop up. Sometimes our feelings are like that. And so sometimes we don't like to be still. We don't like to be in the isolated places. We don't like to be in places where we might be able to pray because we don't want the icky stuff to kind of pop up and expose things about ourselves. And so it's easier to stay busy than it is to withdraw and to make time to let our feelings rise, to see what's inside and to let God see what's inside and let God speak to us. There's one other place that Jesus prayed that I want to put up, and it's in John 17, 20 through 21. And I love this because this happened. He said this on the night he was betrayed. So Jesus' last night with his disciples. These are kind of close. They're not exactly Jesus' last words before he died, but it's in that same time frame. One of the things he did right before he was betrayed was he prayed for people. He prayed for his people and this is recorded in John 17, 20 through 21. Jesus said, I am praying not only for those disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And that means anybody today too. Jesus could see into the future. Wow, that's, you know, makes sense. He was the son of God and all that. But Jesus wasn't just thinking about people 2,000 years ago that he was with. He was thinking about you and me today. And he recorded that. And he said, I'm, I'm not just praying for the people in the room with me right now. I'm praying for anyone who will ever believe in me through their message i pray that they will all be one just in you and i are one as you are in me father and i am in you and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me some of jesus's last words were prayers prayers for you prayers for me he had us in mind What Jesus modeled was a face-to-face, intimate relationship with our Father in heaven. And we just have to ask, is that something we want? 
It won't be something that just happens on its own. Prayer is not magic. It's not an incantation. My kid got a spell book, Harry Potter spell book, right? Some of you may even have that or seen it before because they love Harry Potter series and they love the movies and they got the wands and they got to go to the theme park a couple years ago. Prayer is not like that where you just say the words and wave them around or use certain hand motions and it just happens. It takes time and it takes effort. It takes waiting. And so this morning, we're kicking off this series talking about praying and waiting. We're going to be talking about other things. We're going to talk about praying simply next Sunday. We're going to talk about praying on the move. We're going to talk about praying in battle. We're going to talk about praying with tears. But today we're talking about waiting. Because waiting is going to happen in prayer. No matter what kind of praying you do, waiting is kind of like the precursor. Because again, it's not like, a, like this magic incantation where I just say the words and the things just happen. Waiting is always inherent in our praying. We have to be willing to wait for time to happen. Now, sometimes the time can be short. Sometimes prayers get answered and they get answered quickly. It's become kind of a theme, theme in my household where when I can't find something, I passive-aggressively ask, have you seen this? Which really means, did you take it from me? Because I think that I know where everything's at, right? Like, I think I put my wallet here, and it should be there because I always put it in the same spot. Or I think I put my keys here, or my sunglasses, those are the worst. Those are the hardest to find. And so sometimes I'll say, have you seen which really means, did you take? And so what's been kind of fun or kind of the common theme is my wife will always say, well, did you pray about it? Right? Just, yeah, ooh, just right in the rib cage, right there, body shot, right? But it kind of has become this theme, and it's kind of funny how it works because we had gone, we'd had Christmas at my family's, and we come back home, and I know if, if you've got kids, you bring home presents, and everything's kind of a mess, and you throw everything in there. Well, we got a gift certificate, and I was, uh, it was a couple days after we'd gotten back home, and I'm like, where's that gift certificate? Have you seen this gift certificate? Did you take it? Did you put it anywhere? Because I can't find where I left it, so what did you do with it? And so, oh, actually, I don't know where it's at. And so I go back in the car. We had all of our trash thrown in the back of the car because our trash cans were already full, right? And so uh, we needed a place for the trash to go. So we threw it in the back of our car, and I'm out there at probably 8, 9 o'clock at night with my phone flashlight taking boxes out of the car, just looking for it, just digging in, going through the trash that we'd put in there. And then she comes out, my wife does, and points, say, see, it's right there. I said a little prayer. And so it becomes fun, you know, like, did I find it? And then it's kind of become this thing where it's like, can I, can I pray? And sometimes the waiting, sometimes the, the prayer, as silly as it sounds, it's just this little moment to kind of like stop whatever it is I'm doing and to invite God into whatever little distress I'm experiencing when I can't. Because when you can't find your wallet, you can't find your phone, there's a little bit of distress but sometimes the waiting you and I go through, the waiting that we experience, it's way more painful. It's a lot harder than just, did I, can I find my phone? Can I find a gift certificate? Can I find my car keys or my sunglasses? Sometimes the waiting is a lot longer and a lot more painful. There's something about the waiting. It's like waiting humbles us in a way that like nothing else does because you like we're these like beings that can't speed up time like we just don't have that control you know we're these finite beings we're created we're designed by god 
And, but there's nothing like, like being in a waiting room and not being able to do anything, you know? Like a waiting room of a hospital, getting a call for something, you know? I think about people who have to schedule those doctor's appointments, you know, where they find a mass or a lump or something's wrong, right? But, the, but like, you just can't get in and get an answer right away. They got to like send it off for a biopsy and you just have to sit in it. And that's just so, so, so hard. And so we have to find a way to, to, to suffer through in a way that's character building, not character destroying in the waiting. And, and that's where praying comes in. Because waiting can destroy us. Waiting isn't always good for us. Sometimes the waiting tears at us, and it, it just tears us down, and we find this anger inside. And so waiting isn't on its own going to build us up. We have to do something in the waiting so that the waiting doesn't destroy us. What I want to do with the rest of the message here today, I, I want to just look at Psalm 131. And what we're going to do, I kind of want to set up the rest of our time, is I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about Psalm 131, and then we're going to give everybody some time to reflect and actually pray. We're going to have some communion set up, and I'm going to explain that. We're going to talk about how to spend some time. We're going to have just two songs. We're going to have two songs at the end that's just reflective. But I kind of want to set this up with Psalm 131. And so I'm going to read Psalm 131 to you right now. Psalm 131 says this, it says, Lord, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty. I had to look that up, it means arrogant. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. And I really want to focus on verse 2. And I'm going to read verse 2 again. Because I think, I think verse 2 is what we're after. In our emptiness, in our pain, in our suffering, in our waiting, what we really want to experience is what Psalm 2 says. It says, Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I love that verse, again, because it's what I think I long for in a world of busyness, in a world of a lot of shallowness, in a world that demands a lot of you, in a world that's full of criticalness. I want a, a contentedness. I want something inside of me, my inner soul, my inner being, the thing that's most me, to rest, to be at rest, and to, to, to have the felt safety and security of knowing God's got me like, like a mother has its child. I'll never forget when I first read this psalm. I was like a freshman or sophomore at college at Northwest Missouri State, and um, a, a gentleman, a guy who's just a couple years older than me, his name's Mitch Heiser. He's actually the principal now at Lewis and Clark Elementary School. And Mitch um, pulled me aside. We were at Northwest. I was in the commons area. And he's like, Tally, Tally. So when I went by, Tally, come here, come here, come here. I want to read this to you. And I literally just sat down with him on a little bench next to a water fountain. He's like, Tally, I just want to read this to you real quick. And he read the psalm to me. And he, he read it. He's like, doesn't that sound awesome? Doesn't that sound great? We can just be like these kids, these little childs just curled up 
with God. I love that that's what my heart, you know, like, I love that psalm because that's what my heart longs for, to be curled up, to know I'm safe and secure no matter what I'm going through. What I respect about this psalm is the perspective from which it is written. It is written from a perspective of someone that is on a journey. This psalm, Psalm 131, is actually one of 14 psalms Psalms 121 through, I think it's 134. There's 14 psalms, and they're called the Songs of Ascent. Like climbing a mountain, you know how you ascend a mountain, or like those kayaks, ascend kayaks? These are called the Songs of Ascent because they're meant to be sung and repeated over and over and over again on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You see, um, people, the, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, they would make these pilgrimages. They would take these journeys to the holy temple of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was on a hill, and so you had to ascend. And so they would make these, kind of like, you know, like your, your uh, playlist for a road trip, <laughs> like a best list. You know, you get your road trip, and you play it over and over again, and you're singing the songs, and you're kind of having fun. Well, this was, was, was kind of similar. Is there were people on a journey trying to get close to God. And they would say these psalms from 121 through 134. And Eugene Peterson, the author of uh, the Message Bible, actually has a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction that goes through each of these. And so if you're looking for a resource to go through these psalms in depth and kind of learn about them in the way that these pilgrims would have gone through them, you can get that book. But they went to Jerusalem. They were on this journey because in their day, before Jesus, the temple in Jerusalem was the only place where God dwelt on the earth. And so what they were doing is they were trying to get closer to God, just like you and me. See, waiting exposes the contents of our souls. Waiting exposes whether our hearts are content and satisfied like a weaned child, or discontent and wailing like an unweaned child. I have a little devotional book I read. With, it kind of divides up the Psalms over a course of a year. And just on December 3rd, I got to this Psalm, Psalm 131. And there's a quote from it I want to read to you. It's by an author named Timothy Keller. It's his little Songs of Jesus devotional. And, and he has this commentary on Psalm 131. He says, A nursing child held by its mother is highly aware of the milk she can offer and will squirm and cry if denied. A child who has been weaned, however and no longer nurses, is content to just be with her mother, enjoying her closeness and love without wanting anything else. We so often approach God only for what he can give rather than to simply rest in his presence. See, the difference between a soul that wants God's gifts more than God himself is like the difference between a weaned and unweaned child. And as much as the waiting is not fun, as much as the waiting is hard, the waiting is needed because it exposes whether our hearts really want God or if we want what God gives us. Because if we only ever want what God gives us, we're never going to experience the closeness with God that we were created for. Because we're always going to be wanting him to do things for us more than we want to just be with him 
and have his presence alone. Because we're not really promised much of anything on this earth. Jody and Gil waited 14 years for that. There's people that are waiting longer. There's people that never get that. So in the waiting, we have to be willing to learn about what really exists in the depths of our hearts and whether we want God or if we just want what God gives us and learn that distinction. What we're going to do for the rest of the time here is, is we just want to create some time to kind of, eight, about eight minutes, it's going to be two songs to just pray and wait and just create space. And so if you're at home right now watching, we want you to just enjoy this time or join us in this time. There's some steps you can take. You can, again, the, the, the prayer journey, we would love for you to act on that. We're going to have some communion up here, and we want you to reflect on that. Communion is basically this act that if you agree with Jesus in who he said he was, if you've taken that step to say, you know what, I really do believe Jesus wasn't just this prophet, he wasn't just this teacher, he wasn't just this moralistic person with good morals, but he really was the son of God. Jesus asked his disciples, they said, whenever you gather together, I've got some bread, and it represents, it's a symbol of my body that has been broken and given up, and I want you to eat that, and I also have some wine. Now, we don't have wine here. You might have wine at home, and though 1022 is a little early to start drinking, I won't judge you. But you could enjoy some wine and bread at home for your breakfast. But Jesus said, I want you to take this bread, which represents my body. I want you to take this wine that represents my blood. This is given up for you. See, Jesus gave the ultimate gift himself. He left heaven and came to earth so that we could enter into a face-to-face -face relationship with God no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in but to let it do the work it's supposed to do in us, the waiting, the hard stuff. We have to talk to him in it. We have to be willing to pray, to sit, to reflect. And so um, I'm going to pray. We're going to have a short video. And then we're going to have um, Rachel and Sean, a couple of our band members, they're going to come on stage and they're going to play two songs. So there's kind of two minutes. And it, it could get awkward. It could feel like a long time. That's good. Wait in it. Be willing to do the waiting when you pray and let God show up. Will you pray with me right now, please? Father, we just want to thank you for Jesus. We want to thank you that he is the ultimate sacrifice for us. We want to thank you that you've not left us to be alone on our own, that through the Holy Spirit we can know you. Through this community of people we can know you. Through the Bible, the words you've given us, we can know you so that no matter what we're waiting through or waiting on, we are not alone in it. I pray right now we can all be reflective. We can all think about what it means to believe in you and not just to believe but to obey, to hear your voice and to act to not just sit and, and do nothing, but to hear your voice and act. I just pray that for all of us, we may know Jesus more in this time of waiting. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.